We will be in the Gospel of John this morning. Last week we were in the Gospel of Matthew, today Gospel of John. If you're going to be using a Bible that is on the table that you're sitting at, um, we're going to be on page 1,648. Um, The Gospel of John chapter 1 is where we're going to be looking today in this second week of Epiphany. Um, Epiphany, once again, being this season where we consider who is the Christ, who is this Jesus, and the prominent theme that we are to acknowledge as the church is that He is the Son of God. Um, Last week, we looked at His baptism, his, His baptism in water, with John the Baptist being the one who baptizes Jesus. And if you were here last week or, or happened to listen to it online, we talked about that his act of water baptism um, was a massive and oftentimes uncomfortable evening out of the playing field for humanity. <laughs> we talked about how When Jesus, the Son of God, himself being a Jew, becomes the first Jew ever to get baptized, and in a symbolic way saying, every single human on the planet needs to be reconciled not to a people group, not to a religion, but to a creator. This is what Jesus says in many ways when he is baptized himself, and we know this because of one, in, in part because of John the Baptist's reaction when he says, I should not be baptizing you. And probably in a lot of ways, John the Baptist wanted to say, you shouldn't have to be baptized. You're the Messiah. And Jesus's response, which says, this is what we are to do in order to fulfill our righteousness. Jesus says, we are all to take a posture of humility. We are all to take a posture of we are, in fact, dependent upon a God, our Creator, and the salvation that He extends to us. In this moment, actions are put to words that are a distinct belief that Christians hold. If you're familiar at all with the Scriptures, then you would have heard the Apostle Paul say something like this, there is neither man nor woman, slave nor free, Jew or Gentile, but all are one in Christ. That is a profound and distinct belief of Christianity that there is not a single barrier that could be created by humanity that can separate someone from God and the body of Christ. Profound things happening at the moment of Jesus' baptism. Um, John the Baptist being a character last week, John the Baptist also being a character this week as well as we consider John chapter 1, starting at verse 29. Um, We read about John the Baptist and his encounters with his disciples. Um, 
and this likely just, it, it's an interesting thing when we engage with the scriptures because especially the gospels, we have four different accounts of the life of Jesus. Sometimes they overlap in the stories that they share. Sometimes they don't. I know the one thing that frustrates me a lot and I end up doing a lot of research on is when did this happen regarding chronological order? Did this happen, and then this happen, and then this happen? And when we have four different accounts that are all saying relatively the same thing, it is quite interesting sometimes to know, okay, this happened before that moment. Um, so although last week Jesus' baptism was in Matthew chapter 3, what we are reading today in John chapter 1 happened after Jesus' baptism. So we are about to read an account of a John the Baptist who himself has disciples identifying Jesus the Messiah. And what we know is that it's the moment that John the Baptist baptizes Jesus that John the Baptist himself realizes this person who he actually saw was the Messiah. So this is like the maybe happened a couple days after Jesus' baptism? Well, 40 days. At least 40 days after, because you're talking about Jesus in the wilderness. Anyhow, don't let me drag you down into the, <laughs> into the details of things. Um, so allow me to read these verses. John chapter 1, starting at verse 29, says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said... A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. That is what happens at the moment of baptism. So we know this. Verse 33, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John says, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said to his disciples, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 37 is one of my favorite passages about discipleship. I'm going to talk a little bit about it in just a moment, but don't forget 37. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? I love that question. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus replied, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon, <laughs> and he told him, we found the Messiah. And so he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. 
you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. And there enters who we know to be the Apostle Peter, plays a pretty big role as far as the story of Scripture is concerned. I mentioned this at the beginning of the gathering. Today we investigate the question, now that we know who Jesus is, what do we do with him? And this is what I mean by that, is if we have learned nothing else from the season of Advent and the season of Christmastide and considering the baptism of Jesus, what we have learned is that Jesus is the Son of God. Advent tells us this. Christmas tells us this. Jesus' baptism tells us this. That this person is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. So today we ask the question, now that we know that, what do we do with him now? And I have two things that I'd like to share to answer that question. Brief things coming from verses 35 through 42. The first of two things is this. When you see him, stay close Once again, we're answering the question, now that we know that this person named Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, what should my relationship between me and him look like? And it can be very easy as um, people who, for any length of time, are patterned in the habit of going to church and being a part of a faith community. It can sometimes, uh, depending, on, depending on just the interactions and just how life goes, it can sometimes be hard to keep at the forefront what is my life in relationship to Jesus supposed to look like. All the more difficult when, when the God we worship is unseen, Right? Like all, all the more difficult when there's not someone standing here saying, I'm Jesus, right? So it makes it a difficult thing to ask. But what we know is that Jesus, who we read about in the scriptures, is the Son of God, and that's a really important thing to know. Um, so what do we do with him now? I would offer one thing, and it is when you see him, stay close. So looking at the scriptures, we see a couple of different things. The first is which, as soon as John, John's two disciples saw Jesus, pointing, saw Jesus pointing out to them, they followed him. Um, so here's my caveat about discipleship, and I've mentioned this before. Um, John the Baptist had disciples. It was his task to be someone who wasn't the Son of God and point people to the Son of God. I very much relate to John the Baptist. I think we should very much relate to John the Baptist as people who are not the Son of God. What does it look like to point others to the Son of God? And I've said before, I'll end up saying it again, I wish there was so much more in the Scriptures about John the Baptist. But this is what we know, is that everything that John the Baptist ever said about the Jesus who was to come to his disciples, he's talking like this. And as soon as John the Baptist goes, that's the guy I've been talking about, they immediately stopped following John and started following Jesus. I think that is an incredible picture of discipleship. Because I don't have the guts to say what the Apostle Paul says, which is, follow me as I follow Christ. 
I don't have the guts to say that. I haven't met anyone who's ever had the guts to say that. So what if there was a way to where we could talk about Jesus in such a way to where when someone that we're walking alongside of sees him at work for the first time, they want nothing else to do with us anymore, and they want everything to do with Jesus. That's the hope that we should have for the people that we're walking alongside of. John the Baptist has this hope as well, and it's a beautiful thing. And when John the Baptist goes, that's the dude I've been talking about, we read in verse 37, they immediately started following Jesus. And they wanted to know where he was staying. Because I think, once again, that John talked about Jesus in such a way to where those two disciples knew that if this is who John says that he is, I need to be locked in with this guy. If everything that John said about Jesus, who was to come, is true, then I, there is no other option but to be locked in with this Jesus. And so, yeah, I would follow him too. And yeah, I would say, where are you staying and can I come? So I, I'm someone who has the personality who invites himself to things, which I have found annoys a certain segment of people in, in this world. And uh, it hasn't changed who I am. I still do that. Um, but I'm, I'm at least mindful of it, right? And so uh, that's what these disciples do. They just kind of invite themselves into, into his life. And they follow him. Um, when you see him, stay close. So this forces us to ask the question to ourselves, where is Jesus? And where can Jesus be seen? Assuming that there might be some, some circles and areas and segments of your day-to-day -day that Jesus doesn't really jump out at you. Or maybe there's a relationship that you're in. Maybe there is a circumstance that you have knowledge of that's happening um, with a friend or a family member. And it, maybe just not everywhere you look, you see restoration and good news and forgiveness and mercy so then the question becomes, well, where is Jesus then? What do we look for? Where can he be seen? So consider Jesus' answer to John the Baptist's disciples when his disciples ask him if he is in fact the Messiah. A couple of months ago, we ended up talking about this particular story where in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is in jail. Is this ringing a bell to anyone? He's in jail. He asked his disciples, man, I need you to go to Jesus and just confirm with me that this is the Messiah. Does that ring a bell to anyone? We talked about this in Advent. So this is what Jesus says to that question. And this is going to help us answer the question, where do we find Jesus? How do we see Jesus? When Jesus was asked, are you the Messiah? Jesus says, report what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, good news is being preached to the poor. That is how Jesus answered the question, are you the Messiah? He didn't say yes or no. He said, what have you seen me be a part of? What have you seen happen around me? What have you seen happen as a result of my touch? And what have you seen happen as a result of my presence? Is it things like restoration? 
Yes. Is it things like transformation? Yes. Is it things like compassion? Yes. It is going from those things, going from word to deed. When restoration and transformation and compassion go from concept to reality, that is where Jesus can be found. That is where Jesus can be seen. It's when these traits that are so distinct and so unique to the creator of the universe and his son and his kingdom, things like restoration, things like transformation, and things like compassion, when those things are happening tangibly, there you will find Jesus. That's how you see him. That's how you recognize where he is present. That's how we recognize where he is at work. When you see him, stay close. And the second is when you see him, get others close. When we consider the question, now that we know that Jesus is the Messiah, what do we do with him? That's a two-part answer for me. When you see him, stay close. And when you see him, get others close with you. We've talked about the dynamic between John the Baptist and his disciples. In verse 40, we see Andrew seeing Jesus, and we read that the first thing Andrew does was bring his brother to Jesus. The very first thing that Andrew does is he found someone, and he brought him with, and he found someone, and he got him close to Jesus as well, and that person ends up being the person that Christ builds his church on the back of. Peter, the person that we read in the book of Acts, preaching, arguably, the first gospel-saturated sermon after Christ, after the Spirit has fallen on people. And he ushers in this new movement that we call the church. It wasn't called the church then. We call it the church now. Uh, man, imagine if Andrew didn't bring his brother along. <laughs> imagine if Andrew did what that, that I think that we do as people is when we find something good, we just want to keep it for ourselves, right? Imagine if Andrew, and, his, and I'm, I'm an only child, so I can't speak to this too much, but the dynamics between siblings, like we can even get down on that level. Tom has a twin brother of all, of all things. He not only has a sibling, but they look alike. And they really do look alike. Um, man, imagine if, imagine if Tom found something he really liked but just didn't want to give it to his brother. He didn't want his brother in on it. Imagine if Andrew was like, man, I found Jesus. I'm going to get him all to myself, and I am not going to bring my brother along, and he's going to be left out in the dumps. And then who knows what happens, right? But what we're learning is that when we see him, we bring others along with us. So a couple of questions uh, to consider as, as we engage into our conversation moment. Um, we, we trust that through greeting one another and praying and singing um, and opening up the scriptures, reading the scriptures, in a moment you'll have a chance to talk about whatever you've heard. What have you heard since you've been in this room? 
through whatever we have done? What are you sensing? What are you wanting to share? Um, We have an opportunity to share those things. We have an opportunity to ask the question, how does what we're hearing translate into action? Um, Before we jump into that, um, just two, two quick things to share. A couple, uh, one of those things is a couple of questions that you can consider as you're dialoguing is where and when are you seeing Jesus moving? If, there is a, a, if there's a piece of your life where you're really seeing Jesus at work, um, share that with the people you're sitting with, let them in on it, and then see what could result from that dialogue. Um, Consider the question, have you worked to stay close to Jesus? Um, That's a question I think we all need to ask ourselves a lot. How can you get even closer? If you've identified where you feel like Jesus might be at work, how can you get even closer to that place? And have you pointed others in that direction? Today could be a great opportunity for you to point others in the direction of where you're seeing Jesus at work, where you can bring others along with you and where you can be a part of where Jesus is at work together. Um, So consider those questions. And then uh, the other thing that I'll share is perhaps a more modern-day example of some of the things that we've talked about. Um, So this weekend is is a weekend that our, our country earmarks as Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. You know, the day is tomorrow. I don't even know how you talk about that. But this is where we, you know, consider the life of Martin Luther King Jr., who, by every definition of the word, was a prophet, down to um, the fact that he was killed (laughs) um, for what he was saying and proclaiming. Prophets are generally killed because of what they have to say. We, the same is true for Isaiah in the scriptures, Jeremiah, other prophets as well. They end up poking the wrong bears, and those bears get angry enough to to kill prophets. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. is an example of someone who perhaps wanted to see Jesus at work in areas where that was being purposefully thwarted. So what Martin Luther King was observing is that what we read earlier was not being upheld. Martin Luther King Jr. was recognizing that there was not equality between African Americans and Caucasians. And he took it upon himself to make sure Jesus was considered in these conversations. Um, He himself was a pastor. He himself was a minister. Saw things in the scriptures that just so clearly did not translate to um, what he was seeing around him. And if there was anyone that was close to Jesus in that period of time, it was probably Martin Luther King Jr., who every single time he left his home was putting his life on the line. Um, it's a very interesting thing. I was talking with Eric before we, we started this morning, 
or during Passing of the Peace, rather. There's this, uh, this special on Richard Pryor that aired um, nationally on ABC. I think it was Thursday night. And uh, Peoria gets talked about nationally. It's really great. Um, except when someone in that documentary says that, um, if, I, I might be paraphrasing, I'm misquoting someone in the documentary. I didn't watch it myself, but Eric did. And he said that someone who was being interviewed said, if hell had a zip code, it would have been the South End. This is 40s and 50s. Um, it is a very interesting thing to be someone like myself who was not alive when these things were happening. You know, a lot of times, and Joan laughs. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times, I think just subconsciously, when we're reading about something, and we weren't around when it was happening, we're just kind of like, oh, yeah, that happened, you know, whatever. Well, I didn't see it, you know. I, I don't know anyone who, who saw it, right? We, that happens a lot in the scriptures, just a very long time ago is when this happened. Even myself, it's very interesting to say, yeah, I, I wasn't around, okay. But if you do the math, we are so not far away at all from the 1940s. Like, so not far away um, and so when, when we're talking about staying close to Jesus, and if there's anything that is within you that bothers you about the fact that, that the 40s and 50s were what they were, and that that's only 70 years ago, and maybe you're still seeing the effects of the 40s and 50s in Peoria and the surrounding area today. And if that bothers you, then I think the response is, we need to stick closer to Jesus than we are right now. And that isn't to say that like we're not trying to follow Jesus. But I'm wondering what the 40s and 50s would have looked like. I'm wondering if the time between then and now would have looked like if so many more people, and I'm talking about Christians, had Martin Luther King Jr.'s back when he was doing the things that he was doing. I'm wondering, I, you, you just wonder, right? It's a what if, and some people like what ifs and some people don't, but like what happens when the millions of Christians all over the United States of America who did not proclaim, I agree with that dude, I have his back, I will march with him, and I will preach the things that he's preaching in my own church. What if people did that instead of not? And then what would it look like for the Christians of Peoria, Illinois, Central Illinois, I know, I know everyone in this room is trying to follow and they're learning new things, but if, if it is just not more motivation to get even closer and to get more in the trenches and to get more uncomfortable with some of the junk that you're seeing in your life, then let this be a passage that informs our reaction. Um, asking the question, is there somewhere in Peoria, Illinois, 
where the poor are being cared for? Is there somewhere in Peoria, Illinois, where there's a group of people that is working towards loving their neighbor as their self? Is there somewhere in Peoria, Illinois, a group of people that are just fighting tooth and nail to see justice fall in areas that have been neglected and where justice has not fallen in quite some time? And if the answer is yes, and the answer is yes to all those questions, there are groups that are doing that, then then we need to find ourselves with them. We need to find ourselves laser close to them because that's where Jesus is right now. If Jesus is working anywhere in our city right now, it is amongst people that are seeking justice. If he's at work anywhere, he is, he is amongst those who are day in and day out making super uncomfortable and just opposite thinking decisions for justice. Um, so consider these things as we talk and as we dialogue. Um, and we'll, we'll catch up with each other in about seven minutes or so.